Blog Talk Radio. Everything you never 
Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Our Own Voices Live. I am one of your hosts, Rodney Smith, coming to you as many Saturdays as we can throughout the year, bringing you hopefully news that you can use. As many of you know who have been around me lately, you know that I've lost my voice, and it's haven't found it really in the last few weeks. Occasionally I get it, but it keeps running away from me. So hopefully it will last through the show today, and maybe you all will call in. Uh, Let me give you the title of our show today. Uh, University of Oklahoma's, I called it rant, but it probably should be racist rant, Uh, Ferguson police shooting. And, And I guess the caveat to that was, what if the shooter was white? Uh, Nevada Women's Film Festival, and, of course, our ongoing literacy book drive. There's been so much stuff to happen in the news today. So go ahead and give us a call, 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. Let's go ahead and line up those calls now because these are some pretty heavy topics, and these are not the only topics. Uh, We had a reporter who made some disparaging remarks about our first lady and was, well, fired. What do you think about that? One, the fact that the remark was made and then the response to it. Also, we had some reports this week of some incidents with the Secret Service. And as I was talking with some people, they said, this is terrible, this is happening. And I said, is it that it's terrible that it's happening above anything else? Or is it that we're making more of it because it's happening with this president and it's on both sides of the aisle that I'm speaking about? You know, on on one of the titles for our show today about the uh, police shooting, not only what if it was a white person, but regardless of who it was, let's say it turns out to be a black person. How does it, or or it doesn't make any difference, it's happened. How does it impact the righteous struggle that is going on with police shooting unarmed Americans? That's ultimately what it comes down to. Because this is something that is happening, has been happening, and there doesn't appear to be any let-up of it happening. So we want to try to get into as many of those topics today as possible. But before, So, again, the call in number is 347-826-9600. Uh, we're probably going to spin off on the Oklahoma topic a little bit and get into um, – there was a Facebook post by – Brother, I'll just say Brother Rodney. We share the same uh, first name. And uh, he and I both belong to uh, a group, a Facebook group. And there was some talk on Morning Joe. Morning Joe, the early morning, uh, I believe it's an MSNBC or NBC uh, talk show, in which the host sort of asked to, well, not asked, but maybe suggested 
words used came about because of rap music. And a particular musician was mentioned, and pardon me if I don't get his name right, but it's Waka Waka something flame. I'm, I'm not familiar with him. I think I've heard the name before. And the use of the N-word in his song. So we're going to get, uh, we, we want to delve into all of that. Once again, 347-826-9600. Would love to hear from you. But before we get into that, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. As I said, Our Own Voices Live comes here every Saturday or as many as we can at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 p.m. for those of you on the East Coast. And Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its culture, diversity, and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the culture and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And some of the ways that we attempt to do this, and I believe are doing it, It's through shows like Our Own Voices Live. Of course, there's Our Own Voices, the magazine. We have Our Own Voices on Facebook, Twitter, ourownvoices.com. We try to hit social media as much as we can. Of course, we have the YouTube page. We do events, whether it's open mics. We did a business um, mixer, not a business mixer, but sort of a fun let's get to know each other mixer yesterday at CEO uh, Hookah Lounge, 5900 West Flamingo. Uh, We'd love for more people to come out if we're able to keep this going. It is scheduled for Fridays from 5 to 8 at happy hour, but the entire event goes from 5 to 11. Because I believe people should get together. And we, as many of you know who are long-term listeners, we do something called the gathering, which is another way that we try to bring people together. The Gathering is something that was initiated by the late and great Samuel L. Smith, affectionately known as Sam Smith here in Las Vegas, the native son, owner of the Native Son Bookstore, the only African-American-owned bookstore in the city. And that's an effort to get people together to talk, to break bread, and really just to get to know one another. Because once you get to know a person, it sure makes it a lot easier to do things with that person. Maybe some myths about that person or maybe misinformation can be sort of routed through and you get down to the real person. So we do the annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil around his birthday every year. Usually it's the Saturday before the holiday is celebrated. This year we're doing something a little extra we're going to talk about, we're going to have a remembrance event at the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. statue right here in Las Vegas. Technically, it's in North Las Vegas. It's where North Las Vegas and Las Vegas meet on Martin Luther King Boulevard and Cary. And we have a statue there. And the statue fell into disrepair. And it was noticed during our annual event. And it was from that annual event that led to the statue being repaired. But once we went out to inspect the statue further, we found out that it's fallen apart. So we decided that we would do another event 
one, in remembrance of Dr. King, but also to remind our people as well as elected officials or to show them that we do have a care and an interest in this statue of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and that it has fallen into disrepair and we really need it to be fixed to and restored to its original glory, if not even better. And that will be uh, right around April 4th, which, as you know, is the, is the anniversary of his of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. So these are things, and there are more that we do. We do things in association with other people because we believe collaboration is very important. We have to work together, and collaboration is how we intend to do that. But most importantly, we have to talk. Now, some people say, well, all we do is talk. Well, it's not all I do and the people associated with me. I do understand the sentiment. There does have to be action to go along with that talk. And let's be about action. But let's plan our action to make it as effective so maybe we don't have to keep revisiting some of these situations that we tend to revisit over and over. Oh, there's an unarmed black person shot. There's an unarmed black person killed. There was an unarmed black person brutalized. There was excessive police force, whether the person was armed or not. There's over-police enforcement to our people and our community. These things are not new. Maybe it's time for us to do something a little different from what we normally do. Now, some of the things that we do are important. As we talk about uh, rally together to march, but then there has to be a plan of action to bring about those things that you're rallying and marching for. Otherwise, you will find yourself rallying and marching again and again and again. At some point, we have to do something different. Even if the something different is going back to things that we know have helped in the past. Sometimes it's good to look at our past because it gives us a way forward. So that's a, a little bit about our voices. Um, my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas, hopefully she'll be able to join us uh, a little later. But today's topic, once again, at the University of Oklahoma's Ranch, Burgess of Police Shooting, and the Nevada Women's Film Fest and Literacy Book Drive. There's another event going on here locally today in Las Vegas at the Cambridge Community Center. Uh, it's being uh, hosted by Black Girls Inspired, and it's a series of events to help our girls and our women uh, know a little bit about or know something more about their contributions to this great land of ours, as well as to encourage our girls. You know, they say, it is said, that a community as strong as its weakest link 
There's also people who believe and say that cultures are passed on through our women. As women go, so goes the people. All of us have a vested interest in ensuring that our girls have all the opportunities that are available to them and that we support our girls as we support our boys. We have an inherent responsibility for them both. I don't always understand our girl or women's issues, but I'm, I want to. I want to know what they are. I want to see how can I be a part in being a part of helping uplift whether it's our girls, our women, blacks, Italians, Irish, Asians, any other cultural group. It doesn't detract or take anything from me. Often, I believe, it will add something not only to that particular group, and in this month, it is Women's History Month, and we're celebrating and uplifting our women as well as our girls. In doing that, we uplift us all. As a matter of fact, you can tell about a society by how they take care of those who may not be at the top of the food chain. Whether it's how we take care of our children, whether it's how we take care of our elderly, whether we take care of those of us who may not have the bankroll that others have. So I embrace all of our monthly and cultural uh, observances uh, for those of you who are interested in the college scene here. I had an opportunity to speak to a bunch of young folks this week. And it was in a sociology class. And I was astounded, as I always am, on how much they don't know and what they don't know. It's not so much how much they know, it's what they don't know. And it's not just that they don't know, but it's the decisions that they make based off of a lack of knowledge. And then those decisions feed into sometimes biases and prejudices. Prejudices grows from there, oftentimes passed on to their children. And the discussion that I had with them, and this is going to go into our first topic, the discussion that I had with them is I had asked them to do a little research. I asked them to look up the size of Africa. I asked them, what did they think of Black History Month? And is it still relevant? And whatever their answer is, to have supporting information. And when it got to the Black History Month part, one of the young ladies came out and said, you know, she apologized, which was nice of her and said that she didn't really want to participate because she didn't want to say anything that would offend anyone. And ultimately she was, I 
did get her to speak because I wanted her to share. And what she said was she didn't understand why black people had their own month. And elaborated a little bit on what was so special or unique about black people that they should have their own month, but other groups didn't. Now, this is an example of our failure as a society. So, because I didn't know exactly how much she knew and what she knew, I asked her, I said, well, what month are we in now? And she paused, and then she said, we're in March. I said, but what month observation are we in right now? And she paused, and she said, well, last month was Black History Month. I know. I said, but what is this month? And she didn't know. The professor tried to help her because they apparently had had a discussion about an event. Matter of fact, it was the Women's Film Festival event. And one of the reasons why the Women's Film Festival Film Festival event is in March is because it's Women's History Month. And, you know, it was like light bulb went off, oh. So then someone says, well, that's nice, but is there like a Native American month? And sure enough, yes, there is. Used to be in August, now it's in November. And then they asked about a couple more. And I said, yes, there is. And those were light bulb moments for them. Now, those weren't that big of a deal in a way, but it did show that how without properly educating our children, especially on history, that they will formulate opinions or will easily accept false opinions that they will then construct false narratives that will be the basis of their behaviors and thought processes possibly for the rest of their lives. Lack of information or lack of knowledge. Those young people had that knowledge because it wasn't just her. They realized that some of the things that they had said, some of their personal opinions were based on something that they were ignorant of, ignorant meaning not knowing of, but had been fed to them by other people who then that gave them a chance to sit back and think about those other people who gave them that information, knowledge. Now, the professor of the class, who who is someone close to me, says, Rodney, that's the most I've gotten these children to talk all semester, these young people. She thanked me for coming. I thanked her for having me. And as we went to leave the class, the young people were filing out, and each one of them came up and thanked me. Now, I'm saying that to say that in the tradition of our people, in the tradition of Sam Smith, we have to talk to our young people. We have to share with them. They don't know, probably, but we did not teach them. And it's not so much that we didn't know, it's just that we didn't teach them. I encourage each one of you to reach out to those people. If you don't have a young person in your life, maybe you don't have children or your children are gone, find some. 
There's plenty of them out there because they need us. They need you. They need the truth because a lot of these things that happen are based on falsehood. Uh, I, I wanted to sort of seg- use that as a segue into our first topic. And the first topic is about the well, I tell you what, we'll, we'll use that as a uh, segue into it. Our first topic is going to be the University of Oklahoma and the racist rant. I was going to play that for you all, but I figured that you had all probably heard it by now or at least read about it. I was at a gathering yesterday, and one of the young ladies who was sitting at a different table asked, well, why is everyone getting so upset? We know this is how people think. We know this is what people do. We use the N-word, and other people use it. So what's the – now, I personally think there is a big deal using the N-word, period, whether it's used by blacks or people outside of that particular group, my group. I don't believe in using the word. Other people think it's okay and say it's a term of endearment. From a psychological and sociological perspective, I wonder, what does it mean when an oppressed people take on the language of their oppressor and then use it in relations with themselves and say it is showing endearment for a sister oppressor? Maybe it's not for me to formulate an opinion of that, so I'll pose that as a question to you. What is it when an oppressed people take on the language of their oppressor and then say that it is a term of endearment? 347-826-9600, press option one to talk. I would love to hear from you. So I don't believe that the word should be used, but there's a part of the chant that this group from the fraternity SAE used that the young lady at the table said she didn't hear. And that was the part about hanging from a tree. And if you put it together, you notice that the way that they use it in word is hanging from the tree rock, almost like a rat. Even if we could look past the use of the N-word, which I don't think that we should, but even if we looked past the use of the N-word, how do we now justify the hanging from the tree part? I don't know how we can get beyond that. Because whether you're talking about hanging black people from a tree, whether you're talking about hanging Italians from a tree, Irish from a tree, Native Americans from a tree, for that matter, anyone. If you stripped away the nationality, the race, one more thing that you still have to deal with is that you are hanging someone. You are asphyxiating. You are potentially snapping their neck. You are causing harm, damage up to and including death. 
as a society, I'm talking about society at large, not broken down into subgroups. As a society, how can we justify that? How can we say that that's just, oh, that's just kids being kids? If you all want to frame what I'm saying here, think back to some of the pictures that you can pull up on the Internet, especially during Black History Month. You can pull them up anytime. Of a party and festive atmosphere of black people being hung, lynched, as it was often referred to, for whatever the reason, being lynched, women, children, dare, men, often smiling, laughing, joking, pointing, children, impressionable minds, right, taking this brutality against another human, taking it all in, and being around adults who are reveling in the death of another human, times not a legal death. In other words, there was not even the law of the land that said this person or persons were guilty of anything. It was a group mentality. Now, we know that people say the protest is, well, that's just a group. One of the other interesting things that came up in the conversation with one of the young ladies at the college was she talked about how she really had never been around black people. She grew up here in Nevada, but it's an area that is not known for having many black people in it. But she talked about when she finally went to a school, a high school, that had all different ethnic groups and nationalities in it, how they kind of segregated themselves and how they hung out with each other. Blacks were blacks, Hispanics were Hispanics, Asians were Asians, so forth and so on. And how she wasn't used to people hanging out like that. So I asked her, I said, because what I do at the beginning of each, at, at most of my, my talks, is I ask the students to tell me their name, where they're from, something about themselves and their family. And this young lady had told me where she was from, and she had made reference to uh, that it was in a place that, you know, she wasn't associated with other ethnicities, especially black people. She even went so far as to say that she thought that there was maybe one, or just a very small number of black families there, but she said, but they're not like, you know, they're, they're different because they have been whitewashed. And when I asked her what does she mean by whitewashed, she said, well, they thought like everybody else that was white that was there. And she also went on to say that it was a large Mormon uh, influence in that area. And Mormons, though they're not just white, we know that it was whites who started that religion, that faith. And she said, so pretty much everyone there was the same, and even the black families that were there because they had been whitewashed were kind of the same. And she couldn't understand that why the minorities and these other cultural groups would segregate themselves at a public school. So I asked her, I says, well, the people who live where you live, you did say that it was basically all white people, right? And she said, yes. And they all moved there, right? She said, yes. 
I said, so would it be fair to say that just as you saw those various cultural groups in school, once you got a chance to go to a school that had more than white, that just as you say that they segregated themselves, would it be fair to say that those white people who live where you live segregated themselves from everyone else just on maybe a, a different level? And she paused, and she didn't kind of nod at her head. I don't remember she said anything. And I just wanted to show her that what she was saying in a negative light about those other groups, that she came from an environment that was almost completely white. And for the couple of blacks that were there, she said they had been whitewashed. Those were her words, that they had been whitewashed to be much like the rest of the white people that were there. Sometimes when we are in ourselves and we look at everything else, we see it as us versus them. And sometimes when we see it as us versus them, we don't take in the things that we do that oftentimes may be just like the them. In the situation with the racist rant in Oklahoma University, I was talking to, well, he's a legend to me because he was the first in his field in Major League Baseball that was black. I was I was having a chat with him yesterday, and he said to find out that it was SAE was no surprise to him from his experiences in college and playing college sports and later professional sports travel. From that, I said, think about this. We said that we were in a post-racial environment when we elected President Obama. That was sort of like the popular news thing. Now, whether the majority of Americans believe that or not is a different story, but that's what was being said. Now, I come from, as many of you know, originally from the South and then later from New York. And I had shared with my co-host, Mrs. Anderson Thomas, that, I, that racism in the North was still racism, but the differences I had seen was that racism in the South was overt, whereas racism in the North was very covert. It was sort of behind closed doors, under the table and covered, as some people like to call it. But it still had the same effect. Maybe it was more insidious in the North because there were people that you thought, if you didn't think that they were friendly towards you, you didn't see them as being hostile towards you because they didn't overtly show their racism. They didn't call you boy or the N-word or yard monkey, porch monkey. They didn't call you those things. You didn't see images of those things. So it sometimes maybe have lulled us into a false sense of security. That may be in those areas they weren't racist. As laws were passed, we saw that a lot of the things that people would say in public or do in public slowly began to change. And then we didn't see it anymore as much. We didn't hear it as much. And this is where I think that we may have gone too far, is because we didn't see it as much and hear it as much, we started believing that maybe it wasn't there. And even for black people, we started saying 
that things had changed. I do believe there's been some changes, and there's been positive progress. I definitely believe that because some of the things that, you know, they don't, well, I was going to say the police don't do a lot of the things. Maybe they don't do it as often. You know, we had Bloody Sunday last Sunday. We don't really have large-scale events like that. Even what happened in Ferguson, though, reminiscent of it, wasn't still as brutal. And if you don't believe me, ask John Lewis or some of the survivors of Bloody Sunday. So, yes, there, so there has been change, granted. It's been 50 years. You would think that there would be some change, right? But is that change a superficial change? Superficial in that it doesn't happen overtly, in plain sight, in the light of day, that it happens more covertly, clandestinely, but it still happens. And when something happens to you and you're not aware of it happening or that it has happened, in effect, it can be more damaging to you. One of the reasons why our body has a sensation of pain so that we know that we're hurt, and if we're doing something that's hurting ourselves, it then gives us an opportunity to stop doing it and to look at it so we can give it treatment. Well, when you're living in a society that though it may have the same mindset, the same ideology, it lulls you into a false sense, a false sense that there has been enough progress and that I'm not being hurt when the reality may be you just don't see it or when it's pain, you don't feel it right now. But that damage is being done. And because it is being done, by the time it may have an effect on you, so much damage may be done that for the human body, you could lose a limb or maybe even your life. What does that mean? Sort of transmute that into what does that mean for a society or a group of people? If damage is being inflicted upon you that you are not aware of and it's being done over a prolonged period of time, how does that impact the health of the body of people? 347-826-9600. And I hope you do call in because my voice is fading fast. Our topics today are University of Oklahoma's racist rant, the shooting of the police officers in Ferguson, supposedly with a handgun, mind you. And we also have the Nevada Women's Film Festival that's going on. I would like to talk about the Morning Joe segment where the co-host, Miss, uh, I believe, Brzezinski was responsible for the, at least the N-word being used by those University of Oklahoma students. Uh, as many of you know, the show could not and would not happen without my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas, and she sure has picked a great time to join us in the conversation. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Mrs. Angela Thomas to the show. Hey, Rodney. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. Saturday again. Uh, comes every seven days, like clockwork. <laughs> like clockwork. Yeah. 
it's Saturday again. I'm excited to be here, and um, so many things going on this weekend in the Valley. My goodness. And, and some really good things. And, Angela, we were going to – I don't know how much time you have. We were actually going to – I was kind of um, talking on this topic until you came on uh, before we got to the film festival. To I was hitting on the situation with the racist rant in the University of Oklahoma. And um, I was sort of relaying some of the things that we had talked about at the gathering. So uh, due to your schedule, if we need to uh, go into the film festival, uh, which you are heavily involved in, we can, or we can finish off this segment of what's going on or what went on in the University of Oklahoma. Uh, We can go ahead with Oklahoma. Got to chime in on this. Okay, well, you know there was the, the song, some people call it racist rant, that these young people were singing on a, a, a bus, on a trip to or from someplace. And in the song, they used the N-word at least a few times. But they also talked about the hanging from a tree. In reference that gets little the, note in the media about the 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 lynching aspect of the nine seconds. What a nine, what what a difference nine seconds can make in um in a nation's life. I I will say that. Um for me this is what happens. This is the price that Caucasian families pay because we don't have a system that recognizes African-American history throughout the curriculum. This is the price they pay. The, the price is ignorance. And not ignorance in the sense of what we saw. Of course it was that. But ignorance in the fact that you don't have any regard or respect for people because you believe that they haven't done anything that is has contributed to mankind and even your just your life today. You, you just don't see any um, value in their input. Um we all know this these young people uh on that bus men the men and women uh will go on this will pass, and they'll go on with their lives because they they have you know white privilege and their families aren't gonna let them fall too far. They'll get back on their feet because of white privilege, but for this brief moment in time um I've been saying to folks uh, in talking on this topic that they have a very interesting window into what it is to be black in America right now, to be shunned, to be outcast, to be thought of as less than. At least they're being judged off of their the content of their character and their actions. So many of us don't even get to have that because they're 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 down putting us, downplaying us the moment we show up at the door. Now you tell me if this young man is the 
is responsible for uh, giving a person of color or woman a position somewhere where he's in leadership at. You tell me what type of fair, unbiased, you know, all of the things that diversity that that diversity office is supposed to stand for. You tell me that we don't need, we don't still need some of these protections in place. Clearly we do. Clearly we do. And um, I wanted to talk about Morning Joe for a moment and talk a little bit about the house mother who was on TV saying how outraged she was at the the kids' actions and she couldn't believe it. These are such nice young men and blah, 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 blah. And she had never heard them speak like that and she herself had never spoken like that. And then someone released a video of her saying the N-word over and over and over and over again at a party with the kids. Um... But she's on video saying it. Now, her rebuttal was interesting to me, and this is where the rap music comes in place. She was quoted as, she quoted, she's quoted as saying she was singing a line in a very popular rap song um, by Trinidad James, uh, where there's a part in the song where he goes, with the N-word several times uh, rapid fashion, she very well could have been singing that song. Um, so for those of us who think that there's a difference between E-R and A, between the N-word ending in E-R and the N-word ending in A, I present this situation. Because clearly, they don't know or care. Those that know, they don't care. They love our cultural input. You know, um, one of their favorite things to say about us is, oh, they're such musical people. My God, they're so musical. Music is probably one of the most powerful languages on earth. I've been different places that didn't speak English, and I've watched them rap the the all-in-English rap songs word for word, verbatim. I've seen our rap stars uh, immortalized in graffiti on the sides of buildings and across the pond within the borders of other people's countries. So at some point, we are going to have to acknowledge that um, the art that we are creating may be sending the wrong message, although it may be a part of your experience when you capitalize on that experience and turn it into a commercially viable product and send it out across the world, you are responsible. You are responsible. If you're collecting a royalty on it, you're collecting a a paycheck on it 
for a tour date, you're responsible. So now we have a 70-something-year-old woman singing your song, the part in your song with a rapid, rapid succession of the N-word. Hmm. What do you do with that? What do you do about that? Because those of us that aren't those of us that aren't in the music business and go about our lives as X ray technicians, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, what you know, working in an office environment, just um jobs outside the music business community have to live with the ramifications of your expression. Now, you know, I'm First Amendment, I'm all for that. I am for it enough that hey, that young those young people on the bus, they got First Amendment rights too. But it's the um It's those belief systems behind those words and maybe why we should reconsider. You know, I used to be a big proponent of every word is acceptable, but the older I get and the more responsible I become for more young people in my life, um, the more... I have respect for and regard for how important words are and how impactful words are. So, you know, what are we going to do, black America? What are we going to do? We can't have it both ways. We simply can't. Well, Angela, one of the things that uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the Morning Joe segment, and there's a clip where uh, I don't remember her first name right now, but her last name is Brzezinski. She's uh, Morning mm-hmm. Joe's uh, co-host. co-hostess. Mm-hmm. And she sort of relates the use of the, the N-word to and sort of lays responsibility or at least associates it with rap music. And I was on one of my Facebook pages, and there was a gentleman who who actually shares the same, we share the same first name, who made a post about it. And I told him we were going to talk about it on today's show. And the gentleman whose song was referenced, Waka, Waka, Something. Oh, uh, she referenced Rock of Flock of Flame. Mm-hmm. Yes, and because he was going to perform for this particular fraternity and cancel this performance, and some people said that it was somewhat hypocritical of him, being a person who uses the N word, and I don't know him. I mean, I don't even know if he used the word, but this is I'm just reporting what what I've heard here. Being a person who uses this word in his song, he does. That wasn't it hypocritical of him to cancel out. Of this engagement and to, you know, have some some feelings about this, 
and I, and I mention this because I actually did see the interview of the gentleman on on one of the Talking Head shows, mm-hmm. and you know he he kept the focus where it was, and what his comment basically was uh, was that hey, that's in in the music, but he didn't say that there was anything negative about it. And then that brought us back to the part of the stands are right behind it when it talked about the hanging from the tree. In other words, the use of the N-word was one thing, but the hanging from a tree, how do you justify that? Exactly. And how do you justify comparing what those young people were singing on the bus about with well the the black rap stars you know i understand i i get both sides of the argument but at some point we're going to have to get clarification on this situation and um where they're saying about you know hanging a black man from a tree because girls can't pledge to fraternities so in the con- you know what they were singing in its context they were talking about hanging black men from a tree um, if I was his publicist that's what that's that would have been the highlight for me hey what I'm singing about in my songs I'm not saying it doesn't influence people doesn't bear questioning but I'm not performing Someplace where I'm not performing behind this, and they're talking about hanging black men. It's okay to hang black men from a tree, and you know he could have went right into the the movement right now. Black Lives Matter. I don't know. This is a a very interesting um, pass impasse we're at because I think on both sides. This is the price white people are paying with their children for keeping them ignorant of African-American history by not including it in uh, educational curriculum. And this is also, you know, a showing of how we're, as a com- how the black community is, is lacking as well because our history is not included enough in the in the school curriculum and in the homes. Well, so what what do we um I don't know if you heard the president of the university, I believe it's uh David Bourne, a former uh, I believe senator. Mm-hmm. He's the president of the uh, University of Oklahoma. And he came out, I guess you could say swinging. In other words, he let it be known he wasn't standing for it, and they they got to go. Not only did he, uh, I believe, suspend the two primary students, but he also, uh, I believe, suspended the charter of the fraternity on, at the school. Uh, he took it even further. He, he threw them off the campus. They are no longer a uh, fraternity of associated, associated in any form with the University of Oklahoma. He he went all the way there. So now, 
and, and that's what people are saying. And I did get a chance to listen to him, and he, he talked about it. And uh, I actually thought that the thing that he said was something that we need to repeat over and over again until more leaders or people in leadership positions like himself are saying these things. And what he said, one of the things he said, besides it wouldn't be tolerated, was that this is an issue of education. Going back to what you said and what, uh, you know, we just had Black History Month. Uh, Carter G. Woodson was the founder of Black History Week that later became Black History, or Negro History Week that later became Black History Month. And Carter G. Woodson talked about how, as an educator, even going into school, that it wasn't just that you had racist teachers to contend with, but it was that the curriculum itself, that down to the book, through omission, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, leads us to what you stated earlier of showing that black people, whether here in America, the Americas or in our native land, contributed nothing to the history of not only America but to the world. And because of that, that often that was in 1926, in I believe 1936 or somewhere thereabout, he wrote the miseducation of the Negro. And in the miseducation of the Negro, what I just said, sort of is the foundation of the book. Now that book, though it was written almost 80 years ago, you could actually take that book and. It could be written for the very first time today and would be just as relevant today as it was back then. Absolutely. It's like he he wrote it last night. Yes, and then one more thing. You mentioned responsibility. Well, as black people who are taxpayers, who vote for their state legislature, who vote for their school board trustees, isn't it about time that we insisted that the education system, the education curriculum in which we pay into, teaches complete and true history about African and African-American people? This is something that we have a say-so in. This is something that, that we can fix. Shouldn't we as a people put a demand on our president? Yes, I know I'm talking about black people demanding our black president to do something for us. I'm not saying that he hasn't done anything for us, but maybe this is an area But if this is not just help. for us, and we have to stop framing it like that. This isn't for us. This is for the preservation of our children and our democracy in the future. This isn't a black thing. The absence of African-American history in the school curriculum is affecting at a feverish pitch all children. If you do not, what's the statement? If you don't learn from your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And that's what we see in this Oklahoma, this nine seconds. That's what we see. We see a community that has not learned from their history, and so we are repeating it. Okay, and I I, I believe in every, what you just said, but this is this is the difference, though. We have one group of people who do not see what we see. And even if they're seeing it 
through their ocular vision. They are not seeing it through their mental vision, their intellectual vision, because they have, it, is, it is automatically colored into something else. So even though they see it, it does not resonate with them. It does not have meaning to them. It is not significant. It's very similarly to how a person can, a white person can just jump in front of you at the line, and then when you say, oh, excuse me, I was next, or hopefully the person who was going to wait on you next will say, oh, sorry, ma'am or sir, so-and-so was next. And they say they don't see it. Even though you're standing right there, one of the members of the gathering yesterday says, I'm a 5'9", over 200-pound black man. I'm standing in line, and constantly white people are jumping in front of me as if they don't see me. And then when they get checked on it, they have that surprised look on their faces. Oh, I didn't know you were there. Now, some people would say that's just them being flippant. But suppose it is that they truly just do not see us and recognize us as people for many of the things that you and Dr. Carter G. Woodson says, because they do not value us. Therefore, we are not that important to them to be recognized as people. How do you get, I guess my point is, we're talking about an ideology that one group of people has that are in the power position. We have been bombing ISIS, ISIL, anti-Americans in the Middle East now for over 10 years. And they are growing because we can kill a bunch of people, but it is the ideology slash mindset that is not dying. Just like uh, former Senator Bourne, president of Oklahoma U, can dismiss those young people, can get rid of the fraternity. But that's on the surface. What actually has changed? Did any minds get changed? I guess that's what I'm talking about. Is Not one, including his. Of the Not one, including his. We have become um, a country of, of PCers. And, you know, that's more dangerous than, it's turning out to be more dangerous than the bombs that we drop on other folks to PC around a, a issue that everybody is afraid is going to blow. The officers getting shot this week in Ferguson. We were all kind of on pins and needles, afraid that those two, you know, those shots, that that ringing out of shots, was going to cause a, a situation, a system of situations to blow. We all don't well, want it to blow know, on our watch, right? Uh, a gentleman called and he asked me, what did the titles of the show have in common? And initially, when I was screening the call, I told him, well, they're just different topics. But now that you've kind of framed it like that, I'm starting to see that maybe there is a correlation because if there wasn't this division of people based on racial lines, then maybe Ferguson wouldn't have happened in the first place. 
maybe there would have been no shooting of Michael Brown. Maybe there wouldn't have been the finding by the DOJ. Maybe it wouldn't be the assumption that all black people, especially black men, are somehow threatening demonic, possessed beasts. Maybe that wouldn't be there. So though I did not intend them to have anything in common, maybe I do see a common thread that does tie them together. And because of that, one of our other topics today, and we have a caller online that wanted to talk about it, was the shooting of the police officer. And I thought about the shooting of the police police officers, and I said, suppose that it was a white person that shot those police officers. How would that change the dynamics of the discussion and the thought processes that popped up immediately from all sides once we heard that police officers were shot in Ferguson? Well, and we can stay on, we can kind of delve into both of these topics, but I want to bring Sarge into the show. And uh, he had a, uh, a question or a comment about the uh, police shooting. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live, Sarge. How are you? Thank Welcome you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity to participate in your forum. And boy, you have given me so much food for thought, I hardly know where to begin. But I guess I'd like to begin, if I may with the most recent statement you made, and then if I could, you allow me the time for a brief exposition, I can explain how, uh, while on various turns I agree with what you said, on the other hand, I utterly disagree with much of what you just said. <laughs> well, the clock is ticking, so go for it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay, first of all, as to the, your, your most recent comment is the what... How will, how would this issue be shaded if it, if a white person were seen to have shot the police officers as opposed to a black person who did it? Uh, I would submit to you, sir, that that is really not the issue here. This entire matter, I believe the whole thing here, the entire matter of Officer Wilson, specifically, I'm focusing in like a laser here narrowly on this one issue, just as an objective matter was a simple matter of self-defense by a police officer against a criminally inclined individual who posed an immediate and deadly threat to his life and his physical health. There was nothing remarkable about it in its either its uh, uh, parameters or in its methodology, nothing. It was common. It has happened thousands of times in the history of the United States. What was unusual and new about it was the fact that there is a new phenomenon, which we now, well, not necessarily new, but kind of a variation on an old theme. I call it the racial industrial complex. And the purpose of the racial industrial complex is, as Booker T. Washington alluded to early in the 20th century, uh, their purpose is to aggravate grievances, real and imagined, amongst black people in order to fundamentally change, as someone very famous in the White House said, our society to change it from what it's supposed to be, a constitutional republic and a system and a country based on laws, at least in principle, to something that is essentially based on a racial meritocracy that has at its core Marxist beliefs and principles, specifically cultural Marxist belief and principles. And that's what I think happened in Ferguson. So I don't think it's really relevant if a black shooter or a white shooter did the shooting. 
There are whites and blacks who are members of the racial industrial complex. Their their motivation isn't primarily racial. It is cultural Marxist. And they are trying to affect the change in our system of governance and our method of rule of law. So I don't think it's really relevant whether they were black or white. I don't care either way. Even if, even if they're not formal or pro forma or de facto or de jure members of the racial industrial complex, they certainly were influenced by them because the Department of Justice just released an 87-page report. I read it front to back. And it not only – you heard people saying, well, the report couldn't find Officer Wilson guilty of any particular crime. No, that is misleading, sir. You have to read it. It's not just saying they couldn't find him guilty of a crime. They utterly vindicate his actions. It could have been written by his defense attorney. In fact, had he been charged with a criminal offense, he could have introduced it in a pretrial motion to have a judge dismiss the charges. And probably a judge reading the Department of Justice report would, in fact, have done so. Now, why is this report relevant? As I said, let me explain to you again. It could have been written by Officer Wilson's defense attorney. Remember, I, I look, I can't say this for certainty. I can't prove it. But I believe, it, my, to a moral certainty, if not a legal or civil certainty, that the Department of Justice set out to lynch Officer Wilson. Their intention was to find something upon which they could charge him criminally to placate the elements of the black community and the racial industrial complex who are demanding his head. So, um, in light of the fact that this was the intention, but the professional investigators in the Department of Justice doing a conscientious uh, 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 investigation, interviewing all the witnesses, looking at the grand jury testimony and everything else and this was there, had to come, had, in their conscience, could come to no other conclusion than the one they came to. Which, and this is from uh, a, 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 a sentence out of what I'm, I'm quoting directly from the report. The report said, um, unarmed does not mean harmless. While Brown did not use a gun on Wilson at the SUV, his aggressive actions at the SUV and apparently attempting to disarm Officer Wilson and his subsequent actions would have given Wilson reason to at least question whether he might be armed, as would his subsequent forward advance and reach toward his waistband. This is especially so in light of the rapidly evolving nature of the incident. Wilson did not have time to determine whether Brown had a gun and was not required to risk being shot himself in order to make a more definitive assessment. That's just one sentence. The entire report is, 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 is laced with remarks like this and sentences like this. I mean, reading it is unequivocal what they are saying. Not just that we couldn't find anything criminal. He was vindicated in doing what he did. Now, bring okay, back Sarge. to the shooting. The shooting happened. Okay, Sarge. Sarge, I just want to let you know that you just spoke for five minutes straight. So if you can sum up your what you would like to say. Okay. Uh, I, to sum up, uh, the shooting that occurred clearly had nothing to do with the truth, fact, or what we have learned about it. And in the case of, and oddly enough, I'm going to tie in what you just said with the uh, uh, the SAE incident there. I don't think that has a thing to do 
with knowing anything about black history at all. I think what it has to do is the whole culture of depravity that the entire country is being bought under the sway of. The whole culture is becoming more and more depraved day after day. And rap, much of the rap culture, not all, is uh, is a personification of that notion that the whole culture is becoming more depraved, and it's seeping down to an infecting more of the culture. They care less about black history. I bet you many of them might even be aware of it. Not not saying that they are. I don't know if they are or not. But they might be, but they don't care. They're responding to the depravity because that's more hip, that's more fun, and that's what they'd rather go ahead and deal with. We are living in a culture that's going down the tubes. We don't need to look at it just as an example of, you know, people talking about hanging black people from trees. I'm reading a book right now called Red Summer, when, uh, and, and it has to do with the uh, summer of 1919, the awakening of black America and the race riots that were going around the country. They were actually hanging black people from trees. And the governor of the state of Mississippi, Theodore Bilbo, was, knew there was a lynching that was about to occur, a man named James Hartsfield, and he said he was powerless to stop it. He couldn't stop it. He's got the militia. He's got the sheriff. He's got the, He's got the, every all these powers in command. But he was going to be powerless to stop a lynching that they knew was getting ready to occur. So things ain't the same in that regard. But what's going on now is this cultural idea that these guys uh, uh, in SAE uh, um, fraternity are responding to. There's a lynching going on now, yeah, but it's a cultural one. Okay. And Mike so Brown wasn't lynched. Okay, so let's um let's kind of peel back the onion a little bit on some of the things that you said. And my first question to you is do you believe that racism exists in the United States of America today? As a concept, of course it does. All right. And do you believe that cuz you talked about the privacy and some people would say that depravity can also be when you mistreat, purposely mistreat a person. It doesn't have to, to be something as great as taking a person's life, but there are other versions of that at a lesser level that still equates to depravity, whether it's depriving a person of proper education, proper housing, whether it's putting them in jail. Uh, at abnormal rates with no real justification as what we saw from the DOJ uh, finding, whether there is excessive police, and it also becomes an ideology and a mindset. So from racism, do you believe that people act in a racist manner today, not just years ago, but today? Well, I know people act in a racist manner today, and they're not just white people. They're black people and white people. They're all over the place. And in fact, many black people are. This argument that black people cannot be racist because they have no power is sheer nonsense due to the overwhelming number of black people in positions of authority in the United States today. That's, an, that's absolutely nonsensical. I, I utterly reject that completely. But I would just like to say that, uh, uh, that the, uh, mistreating a person uh, actually can amount not just to depravity, but to a crime, certainly an injustice, but we're not talking about mistreatment here. The mere citing of percentages uh, as proof of some sort of injustice is at best misleading, often disingenuous and dishonest 
as we well know, as I saw with that report also by the Department of Justice, which was a two-head report, it was meant also to placate. That was the part done uh, that vindicated our schools was done by professionals. The part that dealt with the so-called discrimination in the city of Ferguson had some kernel of truth, but much of it was very deceptive, at the very least disingenuous, designed to throw a sop to those who would be upset by the fact there was no criminal findings against Wilson by the Department of Justice. I read that report, too. It was utterly dishonest and disingenuous. It merely cited percentages as though this is proof of injustice, and we all know that's not true. By the, beer, by the mere, for instance, perfect example of misleading here. Murder is one of the best documented crimes there is because you've got a dead body. You know, and usually, in most cases, they get the offender relatively quickly, and they bring criminal charges relatively quickly, most of the time until very recently. And we do know this, and this is pretty much indisputable, and it's not subject to, to a, a, a racial manipulation. Uh, almost 50% of homicide victims in the United States are black, and over 96% of them were killed by other black people. So there's a, 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 a statistic that has wild disproportion that cannot be argued with strictly in terms of racial uh, discrimination as to its enforcement or its, um, its observation. Now, you, well, you can sorry. explain other reasons as to why sorry, it is so, but you can't sorry, deny the fact of it. Let's break down some of those numbers. Let's break down some of those numbers because, as you said, Numbers numbers can be manipulated to represent opinion. Well, not homicide. Numbers, regardless of what the numbers are. So, for example, when you talk about black murder at a, such a large rate by black people. Wildly disproportionate. People, wildly. Not that. just a little bit. It is wildly disproportionate when you consider that the overwhelming majority of it is considered by 3% of the United States population. Well, not even 3%. A small percentage of the 3% cohort that does most of the murder. It's sorry, wildly disproportionate. It, it, okay, it is so, it's sorry, maybe a thousand times out of whack. Sarge, we get that you believe it's wildly disproportional. No, it is. As I don't just believe it is. Okay, it is well, you know, is depends on what is means. No, no, it's not. This is not. No, no, sir. So, sir, please. Let's it's go. True. To, let's, but let's go to numbers, and we know that the majority of crimes perpetrated, the vast majority of crimes, and this is according to FBI statistics, which we tend to use as the arbiter of these types of conversations, is that we know that the vast number of crimes created, committed against white people, are committed by white people. So if the vet, we also uh, that's not that's exactly a, true either, we, sir. No, that's that's FBI. No, I've read the Department of Justice Victimization Survey. In fact, I have them right in front of me. The FBI statistics, which FBI is part of the DOJ, state that the vast number of crimes uh. committed against white people are done by white people. It also states that the majority of crimes committed against Latino Hispanics are done by Latino Hispanics. As a matter of fact, crimes are perpetrated, the majority of crimes in America are perpetrated against a particular group by that same group. It is no, the, the whole construct 
of this black-on-black violence that we sometimes hear in the media is something that was made up during the Reagan administration to highlight political gains and advantages. So when we say things like the vast number of crimes against black people are done by black people as if to qualify that black people are somehow outliers from the rest of society is disingenuous at the least. So I just uh, want to make sure that we put things in the proper context well, well, yes, and that I we would, don't sir. get too emotional about some of these things. Well, no, sir. Once See, we get I, emotional about these well, things, we tend to make statements that may not actually identify the yeah, topic well, in an accurate manner. Well, well, yes, sir. Well, I'm trying to be accurate. In fact, uh, the reason I say what I say is because I want to fix it. I don't want this to continue. The state of affairs has gotten worse in the last 50 years, and there's also a reason for it, which I'll be happy to address as well. I can, strengthen it. I can tell you why it's gotten so bad in the last 50 to 60 years, and it wasn't this bad prior to that. This wild disproportion did not exist for it. It was always marginally higher, but not so that you couldn't explain by poverty and lack of opportunity and racism. What has happened recently is this wild disproportion that is explained by another factor in the last 60 years that oftentimes we're afraid to address and look at honestly. Now, when you mention the, the, the uh, crime figures you mentioned about the uh, 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 when violent, I'm, and I'm talking here violent crime. I'm talking about rape, robbery, armed robbery, murder, homicide, and the like. I'm not talking about embezzlement and theft of services and things like that. I'm speaking of violent crime, the kind that we look over our shoulders to avoid when we're fearful at night in a bad neighborhood. That's the kind of crime I'm speaking of now, all right? When that sort, now true, it's not the overwhelming majority of crime, by the way, when that sort of crime is committed by, uh, uh, against white people. True, the majority is. You use the term overwhelming. It's not the overwhelming. It is a majority, true. But when crime is interracial, when it occurs between people of different races, violent crime, Violent crime is more likely to be committed at over a 700% level by a black person against a white person than in reverse. Now, that's also true. Just as you said, not overwhelming majority, but a majority clearly, about 68 70% to 70 perhaps 80%, depending on the particular crime you're speaking of. Yes, it is white people committing against other white people. But when it is interracial, there is no doubt as to what the numbers mean. I don't even want to talk about rape. Because when women report rape to the police, I'm speaking, when they report to the police and that crime is reported to the FBI on a uniform crime report basis, has this every single rape in the United States, I'm sure. I was a police officer. I had to fill in a little box with a particular FBI crime reporting number that you put in a box indicating what type of offense it is for uniform crime reporting purposes. When that sort of offense is done, it doesn't matter whether the victim is white, black, Asian, or Hispanic. When a woman reports being raped to the police, 89 to 90% of the time they report it's a black man that did it. Now, I know we're not supposed to say that given the history of lynchings in this country, but it is a fact. Read the, the, the Department of Justice Crime Victimization Survey. All the data is there. It's there for you to look so at. Sarge, you have to believe me. So, Sarge, let's Now, let's, that's not, but that, rape is the worst. Armed robbery is almost as bad. It's 65%. Uh, 
People report being victims of armed robbery. I don't care if they're white, black, Hispanic, Asian. It doesn't matter. 65% who say it was a black man who robbed them. Let's break down this rape, these rape charges, these rape allegations. Because it's one thing to say that someone raped you. It's another thing for it to be true. And so you're saying that 90% of women report being raped are lying? No, I didn't say that. I didn't cast judgment on anyone. What I, well, I mean, well, what, what that, percentage would you say would be misleading the police and submitting false or, uh, or, or exaggerated police reports? I'm just curious. Well, Sarge, as an example, just as an example to show you how racism plays into all of this, is that we know that stop and frisk, stop, question, and frisk. You said you're a police officer or were a police officer. Yeah, stop, I'm question, and frisk was designed supposedly to confiscate weapons and to find illegal drugs. No, the, not what? The vast no. Maj- no, that's not the okay. legal basis for it, sir. That's not true. Okay, well, what, well clarify. What's the legal basis for stop, All right, the, uh, the, the legal basis uh, on it was the Supreme Court decision called Terry versus Ohio. So I'm, speak, I'm, I'm only speaking of the legal basis. I'm not talking about what individual police officer may uh, 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 abuse the law to do. I no, know sorry. they do. Sorry. I'm not Let's, speaking of that. Sorry. But you were sorry. speaking sorry. of the down. legal basis for it. Sorry. And the Slow legal down. basis for the sorry. Terry stop sorry. Sorry. is... Sorry, please, let me, let, me, let me qualify this. You know, this, is not, this should not be an argument between the two of us. There's other people that would like to chime in. You're getting plenty of airtime. So what I'm saying is, is that I'm not asking you what they base it on from a legal uh, perspective on what the Supreme Court says, why they can do it. What I'm saying is the reason they are doing it is because they wanted to find and see Illegal weapons. Well, no, sir, they drugs. can't do that because that's not a legal argument. No one is going to make that argument before a court. It won't stand up. You okay, can't do so it. Tell, that's so why, I, I, that's why I took this exception is, with sorry, what you said. Sorry, I mean, I know that may, be, that may be the rationale as a sorry, practical matter, but no time. one is going to a court to say that. This. Let us qualify this. The reason right, well, for doing stop, question, and thrift. And I just want you to focus on that. Why are they doing stop, question, and thrift? All right, I'll tell you why I did it. I never did it. Left. I didn't do it. Uh, I look, I'm a, I'm a constitution. I believe in the constitution. I believe in the rule of law and liberty. People should be free from intrusive government control. I believe in that with my heart and soul, sir. So I didn't commit any unlawful Terry stops. Let me tell you why I did it. This is why I did it. This is why I did it. I did it, as the Supreme Court said, for protective of the officer. When an officer Okay, excuse me. As the lady, hold on, hold on, Sarge. As the woman involved in this conversation, I'm going to have to intercede at this point. Sarge, I thank you so much for calling into the show today, but we're going to have to cut this short because we're running down on our clock. We're about to leave the air. I really appreciate your input, but this is really gone someplace else. We want to have a strong uh, discourse, but we don't want to um, have the show 
involved in kind of a combative situation, and this has turned into a very argumentative thing. So I thank you so greatly uh, for your input, but we're going to have to move on, and I thank you for chiming in on this subject. Please continue to listen. All right, Rodney, let's go to the next subject, the Nevada Women's Film Festival. Okay, the uh, Nevada Women's Film Festival being held here in our city in Las Vegas, uh, right uh, downtown right now. Las Vegas, uh, <laughs> had their, um, I guess, kickoff event yesterday, and they're going to have events through the rest of the weekend. And so you're intimately involved with that. So highlight yes, for I'm... us, from your perspective, what it is and Lay it out for us. Well, the Nevada, um, the Nevada uh, Women's Film Festival 2015. This is our first one. We're at Baboa uh, Babea stage. I'm I'm messing that up. We're right in town center, uh, right across this, right across the walk from the Yard House uh, eating establishment. The Women's uh, Film Festival, the Nevada Women's Film Festival is a uh, film festival that we did. They started in November uh, last of last year, and it culminated with over 600 entries uh, from uh, women storytellers as well as uh, you didn't have to be a woman director or producer. It, uh, we, also, we included male directors that had a women-centric storyline or leading characters. And uh, we had documentaries, we had films, we had shorts. And today, um, starting at noon, we did uh, screenings. Uh, we have screenings of uh, Women of the Globe. That track is going on from 5 to 5.30. Different films. <clears throat> uh, from 5.30 to 6.30, we're doing the Femi Awards. That's the award ceremony <clears throat> where we will... Award uh, our our top filmmakers, um, Nevada our chosen uh, Nevada woman filmmaker of the year is a wonderful young lady I had the opportunity to talk with yesterday. Our fellow Thomas, her name is Rebecca Thomas, and she did a wonderful piece uh, called "Nobody Knows You." Nobody, well, she that was one of them. Um, the piece that she was awarded, um, film, Nevada Filmmaker of the Year, was Electric Children. <clears throat> and um, she is our Nev- uh, Nevada Woman Filmmaker of the Year, but there are many filmmakers visiting us from all across the globe today to participate in our uh, inaugural Women's Film Festival um, today. So, Angela, what's the purpose? Break down a little bit the purpose of it. Is this the first one here in Nevada or Las Vegas? And what is the goal? The uh, the goal is to increase representation of uh, female craft, vision, and experience in the film, in film and in the film industry. Um, we want to um, include strong female presence and women at the helm of storytelling. So 
that was the that that was the reason that was the you know the original conversation that went on between uh our very own Dr. Patty Thomas and Nikki. Let me get Nikki's last name. Nikki Corda. Um so who there, is the founder is, is a, and uh, festival executive director. So is there a difference in number on women storytelling? When you say storytelling, do you mean, you know, what genre, what does that cover? Is it screenwriting? Is it producing, directing, acting? Is it the whole thing? It's all of the above. We want women in front of and behind the camera. Uh, we want our stories told because, you know, as we begin it, as we began the broadcast, uh, talking about the Oklahoma student situation, uh, what film does very well is enlighten people of different POVs, different experiences. So. Just getting our great stories out. And so the awards will be tonight. Can when people when you say film festival, what actually does film festival mean? Is it like one film being shown over and over again? Is it certain films being shown? Is it films that have been pre-screened and there'll just be a select number of those films? What is a film festival? Film festivals are a curated body of different films um you get we like uh, like our film festival we got over 600 submissions almost 700 um submissions and you screen them you you the executive committee and screeners screen all of those films and we all had a um uh, a list to look for what what we wanted know how we wanted to grade each film and from that it it dwindles down to you know our top selections and then we go about the business of awarding um the big you know the big awards of of the uh festival but a festival a film festival is a curated body of films of different types depending on the theme of the of the uh film festival our our the our our focus is women and uh, stories about women and women storytellers. So, so when the layperson goes out tonight, because there's going to be some some events tonight. What specifically are those events again? Is it open to the general public? How much does it cost? Where is it again? Everything is open to the general public. Uh, it's the women of the globe started uh, at noon. Uh, those. The Women of the Globe is a uh, curated section of the program where uh, film some of some of our best international films are being screened uh, at various times. Um, so that's from noon to 5:30. Then the Femi Awards is from 5:30 to 6:30, and the the uh, Nevada Filmmaker section is from 6:30 to midnight. And oh, wow. Exactly. It's a it's a great evening of film of the film community coming together and like I said we have global representation at this um film festival and we're very proud of everyone who entered and uh submitted their project. You know, I 
a former film uh, student from Columbia College and uh, in Chicago. And, you know, it's a very daunting task to put together a film. And it's a team sport. It's not something you can jump up singularly and say, I'm going to make a film. Well, when you know, you can say that, but to get it actually done and finished and completed and in the can, as we put it, it takes a team of people to help you accomplish that goal. So I recognize every single individual that laid hands on every project that uh, came through our program. Okay, so when so when you have these viewings, and it sounds like there's going to be a long time for viewing, is there a, like, discussion uh, are the, the people, I'm guessing, who uh, put these pictures together, are they going to be a part of the audience, part of the discussion? When I come out, because I'm interested in coming out, I just want to know what am I coming out to do? Am I coming out just to watch movies? You're watching movies. You're taking part in discussions. Uh, you're networking with filmmakers from across the, the, the country, from across the globe, uh, various places across the globe, and... Um, kind of all of the above. You will there will be some discussion. Uh, there will be a lot of screenings and a lot of opportunity to, you know, hang out and exchange cards and information with uh, fellow filmmakers, fellow lesbians, uh, fellow creatives. And now that you've had. Because the number of submissions that you mentioned seemed like a huge number to me. Was that it what is, was initially was. expected? Is there an average? Have they exceeded expectations? We absolutely, norm? we absolutely exceeded <laughs> our wildest imagination on um, the lev- the the amount of submissions that we got. Nobody on the committee expected to receive almost 700 films. We then had, you know, they. We then had to go about the task of finding a sufficient amount of screeners and, you know, getting <clears throat> the tools in hand that they needed to uh, screen the films. So it, it was overwhelming, but done. We so stepped up now, to the challenge. Uh, are these films ranked in any way? So, for example, uh, and here's another part too. Because of such a large number of films and because people do have varying interests, obviously we can't see all of those films in one setting. Is there a website or something that people can go to where they can see a list of recommended films and or description and just kind of whether by fee or for free watch some of the other submissions that aren't represented tonight? Uh, absolutely, you can go to uh, NevadaWomenFilmFestival.com and check out the list of films that are um, accessible. And we're always open to uh, hearing the feedback too, because <clears throat> we want to we want to hear what folks think of of the films. Um, the fun part about um, a, a film is watching the impact that a project can have on 
the public and the viewing audience. They take us places. Mm. And to give us uh, the URL for the web location for that again. Um, Nevada Women's Film Festival dot com, and you can come out today. A full day pass is fourteen dollars. There's also uh, set the the individual screenings are I and don't quote me. I'm sorry, I don't have the end. $7 for an individual uh, screening. But these are some of the finest films I've seen in a very long time. It was an honor and a privilege to take part in this project. And for those of you, uh, if you type a search in, in Google, that will bring up the film uh, website for you all to go and um Pick and choose, almost like Netflix, but with uh, what, now. When you say women film, uh, break down that category because I know it's to put women in. The, but you have it doesn't necessarily have to be a women a woman directed film. It could be a woman produced film. It could be a film starring women, right? Absolutely, it's all of those things. It's not. Uh, we weren't just looking for. Uh, female directors we were looking for, um, like I said, females in front of and behind uh, the camera. We wanted the storylines to be female-centric and tell a story from the POV of a woman. So uh, as long as your your film did that, you qualify to uh, submit to to the festival. Okay, and for those folks who are interested in pricing, as Angela said, you can do a, a, a search on Google for Nevada Films Women's Film Festival. Uh, mm-hmm. It's fourteen dollars at the door, and then it's going to be ten dollars after five p.m. So fourteen dollars at the door, according to their website, and ten dollars after five p.m. For and that's for the Nevada Women's uh, film festival, and they're having a Nevada Women Filmmaker of the Year, and Angela mentioned that as Rebecca Thomas, and she is featured on the uh, web page. So I'm go there, page. check her out, uh, see what's going on. Uh, please enjoy some of the uh, films. Uh, you may be surprised what you find. Sometimes when Amateur may mean one thing to one person, but the quality of the film may not be of an amateur as we normally think. Uh, Some of the storytelling, you know, it's always interesting when you get things from a different perspective because women obviously see things as women. Men see things as men. It doesn't mean that they don't see it the same, nor does it always, nor does it mean that one is better than the other. It's just a different point of view. And I believe that, as we say about this show in America, as diversity being a part of what's made America, and it's arguably said, the greatest country in the history of the world, seeing some of these films from a woman's perspective, you may see something that you've seen before, but just not this way. And just like those young people at the college when I spoke to, by giving them information that they didn't have, giving them a perspective 
that they did not consider before. It enriched them and oftentimes enriches the giver too. Um, so, Angela, I know you're, and I appreciate you for taking time out of the film festival for during the show today. Um, are you going to be on stage tonight? Are you a presenter or something? I have no idea what's in store for me at the festival today. I'm just going to get there and pitch in wherever my hands are needed. I'm so excited about this project. I'm also so excited about um, the Nevada Black Film Festival coming up next month. I will, I'm not a part of the planning committee, but I am attending as media. You and I will be there covering so this is the prelude to the to the Nevada Black Film Festival next month. Um, but like I said, the Nevada Women's Film Festival 2015, it was a plum pleasing pleasure to be involved in this process. And I'm so proud of each and every person that uh, completed their project and submitted it into the festival. All of them, I got to say this, every one of the films that I screened, there's no way that I would uh, call it amateur or uh, approach it as a beginner. Every one of them could have been at any theater near you um, right now. Fantastic filmmaking. And if you're in the mood to see some films that... Uh, shorts as well as uh, feature length. Uh, Rebecca's uh, piece, uh, Rebecca Thomas's piece is feature length. It's an hour and thirty six minutes. Uh, afterwards, she will, she's in the house to uh, do a whole question and answer uh, session. If you are interested in film, if you love film, please come out. Uh, Ten dollars, fourteen dollars for uh, all day pass to. Uh, have this many uh, films accessible to you is kind of amazing. No kind well, of Well, Angela, it's since uh, I'm not one who likes to just throw money around, but I do like movies, this may be a way for those of you who like to hold on to a penny and tell Lincoln Hollis, as I do, to uh, go on and see a bunch of movies for very little money. Uh, 10 or $14 to be able to watch a broad variety of movies uh, representing different genres, what better way to spend an evening? And for those fellows out there who may be looking for a date, not that I'm saying a cheap date by any means, but a date, <laughs> maybe you can invite your lady pal to uh, uh, join you tonight to the women's, the Nevada Women's Film Festival she will think that, oh, wow, I didn't know that you were into things like that. You would take me to some. I'm just dropping hints, just dropping hints, guys. But this <laughs> might be a way to. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it might be a way to gain favor uh, with your lady friend. It could mean a, a home cooked dinner or something, just saying. But it really is a great opportunity to go out and, and share. And Angela stated that this is, you know, it's not just women that are part of it, even though it's focused on women. But there are, you know, men that are involved, too, and but the, the main thrust In of In front it of and behind the, um, the camera. Um, 
the the women of the globe track which is from noon to 5:30 that's 14 films that's almost a dollar a film just for the noon to 5:30 track then you get a feature length film Rebecca Thomas's Electric Children um in the mix there and then the evening track from 6:30 to midnight Nevada filmmakers that's 20 films that were made by us in our community, uh, in our state. And, you know, that's 20 films for 14, that's 34 films for $14 all day, 35 films with the feature. Um, and, and, they, and, and they're they various have, lengths. Uh, they're five minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, um, but just a great time out. Andrew, do they have popcorn there? Can we bring Popcorn, how does that work? Uh, it's a full movie experience. Okay. Uh, so if the price for the movie is basically a dollar per movie, as Angela said, I'm guessing that the price for popcorn isn't that bad either. The last time I went to a movie, and I know I'm harping on the money, but the last time I went <laughs> to a movie, I thought I'd went out to a formal dinner. It cost me so much money. I think popcorn for two people was almost like $15. Absolutely. Uh, so it's here's an opportunity for those penny pinchers like myself to go out, have a good time, support our women in film, and just come out and take advantage of a great event for Women's uh, History Month because we are celebrating women's history. And they've always been a part of, just about always been a part of history, almost from the very beginning, at least for those of you who believe in religion from the Genesis story. So a great opportunity to help support them, uplift them, and, and really have a, I think it's a good time. I am looking forward to attending. I'm trying to clear my schedule out so that I can go. I didn't want to have a show today where we didn't put emphasis on it. We've been talking about leading up to it. Now it is here. Uh, hopefully many of you out there who are listening to the show if you have time, can go out and enjoy it. And now, Angela, it's not just today, but isn't something going on tomorrow? Uh, no, the full screening of everything is today. Oh, wow. So From noon to midnight, that's twelve a 12-hour marathon, and we're throwing in an award ceremony for um, Nevada Women, the Nevada Women's Film Festival. Meet me at Town and, Center. Uh, what what is the attire for the event? Whatever you're comfortable in. All right, I, I like the sound of that because I thought I was gonna have to <laughs> go and get my hair done or something. So now that you, you know, you should come nice way. and neat, soldier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, today's show, and I'm glad we ended it on this note because this is an uplifting uh, note and hopefully something everyone can embrace. Uh, the, the topics to our show may have seemed heavy to you, and they should have seemed heavy to you because they are heavy to- topics because we're talking about people's lives in many cases. On which side of whatever side of the aisle you may be on, it's still talking about people's lives. And lives do matter. All lives matter. All lives, and, yeah. And I hope that we will keep that in the focus, that it is all lives that matter. Our topics today, and we covered some big ones, but our our topics today was we wanted to touch base on 
the University of Oklahoma's racist rant. Uh, we wanted to talk about some things that happened on the Morning Joe show with uh, Ms. Brzezinski and her take on the influence of rap to it. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the president, uh, what he did to show his displeasure with this particular uh, fraternity and those that support them. Uh, we wanted to delve into a little bit about why it is and also what could be done to minimize and hopefully to eradicate this virus that has been in American society since before we were America. It has been here. It is still here. It hasn't gone to any place. And it is an ideology. And an ideology takes more than laws to keep it. Also, we want to talk about the Ferguson police shooting. I was hoping to get uh, that the host uh, from Rant Radio, Thomas Berry, would call in. Uh, he did say he had a meeting, uh, but uh look to hear more about that. And one of the questions about the police shooting was, suppose it was a white person that did it. And regardless of who it was that did it, how will it impact the righteous movement that has been started in Ferguson and really has sort of uh, spun off into different places in the country uh, with New York City being one with some of the biggest uh, protest marches and and rallies. Uh, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about that was police say that they feel like they're under siege now and that they're targeted, and they've gotten a lot of sympathy. Some people have asked me, and on the thread that I told you about previously on Facebook, is why isn't that same sympathy shown towards black males when they're gunned down by the police? Don't their lives matter just as much? And that is a good question. I hope that you all will take time to reflect on that, is why that we see when something happens to one particular group, it seems to have greater emphasis than when something happens on another particular group. Is that systemic racism that colors our opinion? And isn't that a part of what we're talking about, what needs to be defeated? Uh, one of the other topics on our show today was, and, and Angela talked on, on this, was the Nevada Women's Film Festival, which is here now. been going on since 12 o'clock. It's going to run until, I believe Angela says, midnight tonight. I posted a link in the chat room as well as on the Our Own Voices Live Facebook page. Uh, there's an opportunity to take in a bunch of movies, I believe Angela said, from as short as five minutes to feature-length films. Uh, until midnight tonight, and if you break down the cost, it's less than a dollar per movie. It's right there in on South Las Vegas Boulevard, very accessible to you all. I hope that you will go. I hope that I'll see you there because I'm wanting to go there too because I may have to give me a date because for that price, I can not only possibly get a date and treat, but act like I'm a, a little sophisticated at the same time, for very little money. So, hint, hint, fellas. So, here's an <laughs> opportunity to take in uh, Women's History Month, to be a supporter of it, regardless of what gender that you are. Be entertained 
and who, who knows who you may meet there and how it can enrich your life. I believe as we immerse ourselves in the diversity that America has to offer, that it truly does enhance who we are as individuals, groups of people, and really as a nation. You know, I, I knew that the show was uh, because of the topic. It would go a little long today, so I actually scheduled a show for two hours. For those of you who've been here for the whole two hours, thank you so much for listening to us. For Because you support us when we see that you're out there listening. Uh, you support us when you call in. And uh, we may not always agree, but that's okay. It's the fact that we are here and that we're spending time together and hopefully we're striving to see the other person's point. Those are the types of things that I believe strengthen us and make us better. Uh, big shout out to my listeners in uh, Texas. I, I see you on here for our local listeners here in Las Vegas. Always to my peeps back in the Chicago, Detroit area. Thanks again for listening. Andrew, did you have any uh, words you want to close out with? Come to the, the Nevada Women's Film Festival. Hang out with me today. Let's check out some great films. Let's talk about some camera angles. I feel like I'm back in school again. This is fantastic, and I want to see everybody's face in the place. All right, well, on that note, we will be back here next Saturday, 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. And that's 3.30 out east. I hope that you will join us. And in the meantime and in between time, we're Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. You may see some comments from Sarge there. Hopefully he'll leave some. And please add your own. I will try to add some as well. Until next week, but maybe till tonight where I'll see you at the Nevada Women's Film Festival. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.